Hi folks, a shout out this week to Sharon Pask, who did a review of the Take On Board podcast. Thanks, Sharon. She says, gender pay gap episode, very informative session with Emma Ray. Thank you. Well, thank you, Sharon, for taking the time to do a review. We love to get reviews here. And thanks to Emma for doing that episode. Second announcement for this week. This week we're hearing from Kari Hatch. And listen right through to the end of the episode where she shares resources because not only does she share some resources in the episode itself, but sent me a voice memo afterwards with some additional ones. So there's some gold in there. Radio on with the show. Hi folks, Helly here. In today's episode, you'll be hearing from Emma Olivier about managing risk. So one of the things I am doing to manage risk is to let you know that, well, the audio isn't fabulous, but the content is. So stick with it. You'll be able to hear her words of wisdom, even though they're not quite as crisp as I would hope. Welcome to the Take On Board podcast. Being on a board can be an incredibly valuable, interesting and exciting experience. Yet it can also be lonely, challenging and, let's face it, pretty hard. So here at Take On Board, I'll bring you weekly tips, tricks and advice to help you navigate your way onto a board, onto your next board and to build your governance wisdom. Now, on with the show. Today on the Take On Board podcast, I'm speaking with Emma Olivier about managing risk. Before we start that discussion, I'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which we record this podcast today. For me, that's the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and I pay my respects to Elders past and present. I acknowledge their continuing connection to land, waters and culture, and that this land was never ceded. I support the Uluru Statement from the heart and I encourage others in the Take On Board community to do the same. Now, let me introduce Emma. Emma is on the boards of Leadership Victoria and she's on the Audit and Risk Committee for Lifesaving Victoria. Emma is the founder and CEO of 20%, a disability advisory organisation working with Corporate Australia. With over 30 years consulting experience and having been born without a left hand, She understands from her own lived experience the challenges and opportunities of having a disability in corporate Australia. Emma has extensive corporate experience working across a number of industries, both in Australia and overseas. As a Managing Director at Accenture, she was the Executive Sponsor for Disability Inclusion in ANZ Accenture for two years. Over this time, the employee reference group grew significantly and was a finalist in the Australian Network of Disability Awards in 2021. Emma is an active member of her community at a local and state level. She is Victoria's first one-armed lifesaver and was appointed to Lifesaver Victoria's Audit, Finance and Risk Committee in 2019. In 2018, Emma participated in the Williamson Community Leadership Program run by Leadership Victoria and was appointed to their board in 2021. Emma was a nominee for Citizen of the Year in Bayside Council for Australia Day 2021 and has been a member of Bayside Council's Disability Access and Inclusion Advisory Committee since its inception. Welcome to the Take On Board podcast, Emma. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. Fabulous to have you here and, of course, another 
Leadership Victoria, Williamson alumni and board member. So I am looking forward to this conversation in oh so many ways. But before we talk about managing risk, as always, I would love to delve just a little bit deeper about you. Can you tell me about your upbringing and what lessons you learned, what you got up to and what the leading influences were on how you thought and what you did? My upbringing was in suburban Melbourne. I grew up in the 70s and the 80s, so I'm definitely of the era where women were told we could have it all. And it wasn't until later when I had my children in my 30s that I realised that probably wasn't exactly true. Probably two influences growing up, I was involved in Girl Guides and I really loved the teamwork, doing things outside my comfort zone. And those early experiences of leadership have always stayed with me. And I've always volunteered from a young age. I wanted to be a librarian growing up. And so I took myself down to Hampton Library and asked if I could work there on a Saturday morning to have a bit of try before you buy. And it was a great experience. And I've continued to volunteer in my local community. I still live around the area that I grew up in, although I've travelled extensively sort of between stints. And probably lastly, I was the first person in my extended family to go to university. My parents believed in education definitely went to the best school they could afford, which was a Catholic girls' school in Bentley. So I was very proud to continue going to university and I studied accounting at RMIT and that's where I, I guess, began my my corporate career from that point. Mm. Interesting mixes in there. You know, it's interesting you mentioned the Girl Guides. I feel like I hear that quite a bit from guests on Take On Board, that they started their leadership journey in some ways in the Girl Guides. You've got structure. We had an amazing leader who still lives in the community and just the things that she taught us as young girls and I guess early adolescents have always stayed with me. I have very fond experiences of that and I would encourage other people that had young children or young women to look at that and also to look at Scouts. I think it's also an amazing organisation as well. Did you ever think of joining the board of Girl Guides? I have a rule that I'm only ever going to do two pro bono boards. So maybe in my future, but my current boards and my current activities take up enough time. So yeah, possibly, possibly. But it's one of those organisations that has to create a legacy and it's so important for us to think about the people that are behind us and to keep creating that future that we experience to create it for them as well. Fantastic. I don't know if they still run it, but years ago I was involved in a um, governance program with Girl Guides where they got young women, kind of secondary school age women, and gave them an introduction to governance. It was fantastic. So I hope some of those women ended up on the Girl Guides board. It's always been an organisation that's been ahead of its time, I think, in the things that you got to experience and do and certainly going through it in the late 70s early 80s that was my experience yes oh oh look I could stay talking about that for the whole time but I am very keen to delve into risk it's one of those things that it's I mean it's key to the boardroom is thinking about risk and thinking about risk appetite statement and managing risks and managing those strategic risks so You're on the Finance Audit and Risk Committee, might be in a different order, but the Finance Audit and Risk Committee for Surf Life Saving, and you're on the Board of Leadership Victoria. 
I imagine the risks that you're considering in those two organisations are sometimes quite different and I'm also guessing sometimes the same. Where should we start this conversation about risk? It is such an interesting conversation and I think it's something that it's such an important topic that boards need to get their heads around from a couple of different angles. First of all, thinking around the risks that the management team don't tell you about the risks that are over the horizon, the emerging risks. If we wind our minds back to 2019, I don't think anyone would have thought that we were going to have a global pandemic that would change the way we live and work significantly for, what, two and a half years. And certainly for those two organisations, it really challenged how we operated, how we existed and how we continue to this day. So I think the takeaway is what are the risks that are over the hill that we haven't seen yet and what are the different things that the management team are telling you about. Typically, in my experience, management teams will have, they'll definitely have a point of view of risk and they'll share that with the board. It's important to make sure there is time on the board agenda to talk around those different risks in detail and to think about who the different risk owners are in the organisation that should come to those meetings and share their insight and experience. We've got to make sure that we hear different voices at the board table and different voices from the management team, not just from the CEO or the COO. It might be from the operations manager. It might be from the media person. Certainly Life Saving Victoria, as well as Leadership Victoria, both have reputational risks that need to be considered. What do we do that, that could land up you know, we always say the Herald Sun test or, you know, people talking around at the pub. What are the different things we have to think about from that point of view? It's interesting. We often have audit and risk together in a committee. The challenge is how do you make the conversation not just about finances but about the other risks? Because I think our natural tendency is to typically talk about finances and it's to make sure we talk about those other risks on a regular basis because they can change and evolve. Regular listeners of the podcast will know I'm on the board of the Royal Women's Hospital and for part of that time I was on the audit committee. We have a audit committee which is separate to our finance committee, so that helps a little bit. You know, I'm not an accountant. And one of the committee members used to say at the committee, so Helia, what does the non-beanie think? As in, what does the non-bean counter think about this stuff? Shout out to people who are listening If you're not the bean counter, don't think you shouldn't be on the audit committee or don't think you shouldn't be on the finance committee because my bet is you will have insights that the bean counters don't have. And I mean bean counters in the nicest possible way. (laughs) I'm going to count it. That's okay. You can say it. That's a really important point that having those different voices around the table are going to ask different questions. If you have a group of engineers talking about safety and they're only engineers, for example, you're going to have a different conversation, whereas you put someone in that's a non-engineer. And I think it's exactly the same with finance and audit. Boards have to be also allowed to, someone has to say, I'm going to ask a dumb question. It's never a dumb question. Because if you're thinking that someone else is typically thinking it, and I think as a board member, sometimes we think that the people with the qualifications in the area are the only ones qualified to ask the questions. It's really important to ask what you think is, even if it's an obvious question, because sometimes they're the things that can catch us out. 
Absolutely. I think my other point would be around cyber. And I've also been in a position where I've reported to a board on cyber. And I always used to say we can't ever make the cyber risk go away. We can mitigate it. We have to plan for what happens when cyber hits us because it's going to. And I think that's a, some risks can't be disappeared. They can be managed and they can be mitigated, but they can't just be eliminated. And cyber is one of those things that sometimes feels like a bit of a dark art, but even simple things like multi-factor authentication. What do you do with your board papers when you've read them? Are they held in a secure location? Particularly on non-for-profits, we often use our personal Gmail accounts. Think about if some of those items got hacked. So even cyber from a board point of view is important. And often board members, I'll generalise here, are the laxest with cyber security. And that's just something to, to keep in mind. Here, here. I will say there was a board I heard of recently where uh, the whole organisation was abiding by the policy except for the board members. Because you're right, Gmail addresses or whatever it may be. Yes. So know them and abide by them, even if that means things are a bit more clunky for you as a board member. Because culture comes from the top and also you can't expect the organisation to follow processes if the board doesn't follow the same processes. You mentioned risk appetite and I think that that is a really important conversation that has to be had annually between the board and the management team because that risk appetite really has to govern every decision that the organisation makes. It's not a piece of paper that we look at once a year and it gets shoved in the drawer. It has to be a living, breathing document and the most junior person in the organisation has to be aware of the risk appetite, as does the most senior. There's opportunity for improvement in a lot of organisations around risk appetite. So I'm wondering in as much detail as you're able to share, from the boards. And it's so interesting because you're on the committee for one, so you're not actually going to the board, you're just, inverted commas, on the committee. You're on the board of another organisation where obviously... Are you on the Finance Audit and Risk Committee or however it is framed at Leadership Victoria? Are you the chair of that committee? No, I'm not. I'm not the chair. And then previously you've reported to a board. So you've got a range of hats that have been or are available to you in different organisations. So I'm wondering some of these things about ensuring there is that robust relationship with the executive, ensuring that you're hearing from different voices and not just from the CEO, ensuring things like the risk appetite statement are embedded and not just a piece of paper that gets pulled out once a year. I'm wondering if there's any stories you could share from your experience at Surf Life Saving Victoria or at Leadership Victoria that really give us a flavour of some of these concepts. This is going to be a hard one for me to answer. Testing what you're hearing, what the CEO is telling you, what you're reading with different members of the organisation as best you can. Are you able to talk about at Leadership Victoria, the CEOs at the table, as well as these people and that sort of thing? Is that possible? Yes, I can. There's a couple of ways that we can get different voices. Certainly at Leadership Victoria, we hear from three or four employees through various meetings. We also hear from alumni of the organisation. As board members, we go to the events and we speak to current participants. So there's multiple avenues that you can uh, get the vibe of the organisation and 
you're hearing. On life-saving Victoria, you mentioned that I was on the audit and risk committee. I'm also a member of a life-saving club. So I get to see the organisation from different angles. And, you know, these membership organisations and community organisations are always quite complex in their makeup. But I think if you can see an organisation from different angles, that gives you a more complete view than what you're seeing. And obviously, and I hope everyone's seen, Lifesaving Victoria is in the press quite a lot, especially at this time of year and it's the end of summer in Australia. That's also a good measure of what the media is saying about the organisation and where and how to measure, particularly some of those reputational risks that are floating around. But as members of the committee, we're also involved in the organisation. And that's just something to think about. In bigger organisations, having been a member of staff, you might have a a strategy day at a particular site and you'll have events with staff. So you try to create that opportunity where you can interact with board members, that they're not seen as this lofty ideals. You know, you actually can have access to them. And having a whistleblower policy as well. If there's a problem with the CEO, you want staff to be able to, or the chair, for example, you want to have a mechanism that all people involved with the organisation can report into. I think my other point around risk and risk committees is the more diverse you can have that group, the better. And it's not just the normal elements of diversity inclusion pillars that we think of, but it's diversity in thought. You want people that think differently and you want to be able to create an environment that you can have constructive conversations that are robust. You never want everyone to agree. You know, you want to be respectful and kind with how you communicate, but you want to hear from all the voices. A board member that doesn't say anything is a worry. And a sign of a good chair will always be the person that says, will go around the table and make sure each voice is heard. And I think as board members, we need to make sure that we never fall into groupthink. Absolutely. In your experience, how is that managed in a practical way? Because all of the evidence is that diversity in group decision-making makes for stronger decisions, yet they are often harder because... People are being tested on their views and sometimes it means people need to even change some of their views and compromise around views rather than everybody walking in going, yep, we all think the same, awesome, we're all doing a fabulous job. So in practical terms and if we're talking around risk, how do you ensure those conversations are really robust and constructive and positive? What have you seen that works? I think making sure you've got a code of conduct. I think the person sharing the conversation, it's the power of that chair to make sure those voices are heard, to make sure not one voice is heard louder than the other voices. There are times when you have to vote on a decision, but also know that as a board, when you walk out, you are all agreed to that decision. And I think that's always important. I think it's also having courage, if there's something that you don't agree with or you want more information on, is to have courage to say, look, I'm not quite understanding this, can I have a bit more information? I often think that there's a pressure in the boardroom to sign off the paper, agree to a decision in the room. In my experience, unless you're the brain surgeon holding the scalpel, things will usually, you can take time to make things. You don't want to be unrealistic. 
you want to come in well prepared. You want to have read the board papers. There's always an opportunity to ask questions before the board meeting, if that's appropriate in, in the board that you're in. And also having the ego to say, now that you've given me that extra piece of information, oh, now I understand it. And sometimes admitting that you your position may have changed and that's okay. That's a mature way to look at things. This is not a competition of egos. But it's a, it's a group of humans and there's always politics in humans. And I think it's, you know, you need to get to know your board members. We don't spend a lot of time together. It's typically two-hour meeting, depending on the cycle, it could be every second month. My committee meets every month. In more recent times, it's been virtual since COVID. So you, you get to know people less. And I think there is always a time to go out to actually meet in person and get to know each other on a more personal level. That's always the better way to get along with people and to have that trusted, respected environment that you can be authentic in your opinion and respected. And likewise, that's how you feel about others as well. You know, it's interesting. I'm thinking about the last couple of years in the pandemic times. You know, I heard in there it's important to hear from other voices and sometimes that's through the kind of more social events almost, which is a very handy data gathering thing. Not that it's there to, oh, I need to know what everybody thinks, but you just hear what is happening. And I'm hearing that those deeper relationships that often come from face-to-face interaction can sometimes really support that constructive decision-making. So how have you found things over the last couple of years when those things may not have been available? What impact have you seen from that maybe on risk and risk decision-making? I mean, obviously we've had during COVID, as with everyone else, we've got, especially living in Melbourne, the world's most lockdown city, everything went virtual. There's dark and light with that. And I think the light is, you know, one of my committee meets at seven o'clock in the morning, seven to nine. And, you know, if you're virtual, you can go into your, your full day's work very easily. You don't have to travel in the car. You do have to make sure you're very present in a virtual conversation. It's so easy to get distracted. You can have your email open. You can have another team's chat going. So I think it's really important to be present. I found that, you know, the chair of my leadership, Victoria Board, you know, we had a great dinner at the end of last year. And I think having a a regular face-to-face gathering, and we did a board meeting and a dinner, was a real, it's a really great way to cement those relationships. It's about balance, right? I don't think we always have to do things in person, but I think where it's possible, some face-to-face is good. The harder meetings were the hybrid meetings where some people were together and some people were online. You need a very good chair that is used to, to dealing in a hybrid situation to make sure all those voices are heard. Yeah, but the opportunity is that when people travel and they don't have to you know, they can be more available potentially if it's virtual. There's no perfect solutions. There's no silver bullet. It's interesting, isn't it? I agree. There is a dark and a light. Oh, Emma, I knew this would happen. The conversations always go way too quickly. What are the key things you want people to take away from the conversation that we've had today? I think bringing different voices to the table is really important. Thinking around who's not there at the table that you need to hear from Thinking about what is not said, what is the risk that's not spoken about, and then how are those mitigations tested? We often talk about risks. We don't always talk about how those mitigations are tested to make sure they're robust. And depending on the industry that you're working in, that's really important. And probably the last 
point is I'll change tax a little bit here is that you, know, you mentioned in my introduction that I am a woman with a disability. We are 20% of the community. So we're 20% of the employees of an organisation, of the customers that it deals with, of the community that it sits in. And I would challenge your listeners to think about how disability is represented on the boards that they sit on. Um, how is it discussed? How is it considered? It can be very powerful and it's something that it's uh, from a diversity and inclusion point of view. We're probably the least mature pillar in, in that. Interesting. It, yeah, I think it's, I think the statistic about 20%, I don't know what the statistic is for people with a disability in the boardroom. Pretty sure it's nowhere near 20% and there's a lot of work to be done there. And that will lead to some of these stronger conversations that you've been talking about. You know, they go together. They absolutely go together. So there's a lot to think about with diversity, but the more diverse you can make those, the groups that are having those conversations, the better outcome is going to come from that. And is there a resource you would like to share with the Take On Board community? There's one resource. There's a TED Talk by a woman called Stella Young who was a disability advocate who has sadly passed away, but if the listeners Google Stella Young TED Talk, and she talks about not being someone's inspiration. Stella lived her life in a wheelchair. She's a comedian. She's very engaging to listen to. And I love the fact that she says, just because I have a disability, I'm not your inspiration. And I think that that is something as we head into days like International Women's Day, later in the year we have People with a Disability Day, um, that we celebrate some of that. And I often hear in my own experience where people say, you're inspirational and I'm sorry for you in the same sentence and I, I just want to be normal. And I think a lot of people with a disability, we don't want to be put up on that pedestal that we're not here to inspire the rest of the community. And I think her message is very powerful, so I encourage others to listen to it. Great. I will make sure we put a link to that in the show notes to make it easy for people to find, as well as a link to your LinkedIn and to your website as well. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for coming and sharing some of your wisdom, both around risk and about diversity and inclusion with the Take On Board community. I really appreciate it. So thanks for being here. It's a pleasure. Thank you very much. So that's a wrap for the Take On Board podcast today. Thank you so much for being here and being part of the Take On Board community. I do this podcast because I love bringing good women together. So I invite you to join us over in the Take On Board Facebook group, an active group that helps, supports and cheer squads each other. Just search Take On Board in Facebook to find us. I'd really love it if you could also do some of the other podcast things. Share with someone you know who might get some value from our discussions. Subscribe if you haven't already. And, well, I also really love it when people rate and review. Thanks again for being part of the Take On Board community. Now go and put these tips, tricks and advice into action so you can be your best in the boardroom.